Welcome into Honorado and Bagnardi. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi. The last show, Bags. This is the last show. We've got a major announcement about the future of this show coming up a little bit later on. Okay, yeah. hold on a How second. are you, brother? Good, man. It's not the last show. It's the last show in this era. You can't say it's the last show and then we'll have an announcement about the future. It sounds like there is no future. This is like the uh, the dead ball era. What you've just experienced the last year in the pandemic of this show is like the dead ball era. We're we're evolving into the live ball era. Yeah, this isn't this isn't uh, the end of the show. This is the beginning of what we hope will be huge, uh, bigger and better, great things for this show. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll. We'll break all that news in about 10 minutes or so as we move along in the show. Is that one of our mugs and you've got it turned backwards? No, you know what happened was I had put the mug in the car when we went to do that photo yeah. shoot in Saratoga in case we needed it. It's still in the car. So this is just a plain old mug. Guess what? I had a baseball bat, a baseball, a basketball, a football, and the mugs. Guess where they all are? In the car. Still in the car. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> still in the car. Um, all right, Shawnee, let's get to what happened last night. I am I am endlessly fascinated by no hitters and perfect games and their rightful place, if you will, in Major League Baseball history. Okay, but I got to thinking as as Ashley told me last night. Hey, you know Carlos Rodon? I said, yeah, he threw a no hitter tonight. I'm like, really? I mean, the guy hasn't pitched a lot in the last couple of years because of injuries, but he was a number three overall pick. Go back to 2014. So there was a there was potential in a young Carlos Rodon, but he throws a no hitter last night for the White Sox bags, and it got me thinking. We saw Joe, Joe Musgrove do it. We've now seen Rodon do it. Are they overrated in Major League Baseball? No. So you're saying that because we had two in a very short time span, that no. it's now what somehow easier to do? No. Okay. No. I'm saying. Do we put too much emphasis on the significance of a no-hitter? Well, I don't know that we really do. It's not like we say, well, you got your no-hitter, you're in the Hall of Fame, right? So uh, it's one of those things where it it stands alone as being just an incredible performance in one game. And I think that's how we recognize it. That's how we honor it. So I don't know that it is overrated. Now, I agree that it's not an indicator of somebody's overall career success. But again, I don't think we look at it that way. So overrated, no, not the best word. And I don't think this is something like the triple-double, for instance, in basketball, where as the game evolves and you have a faster pace of play, um, more possessions, where you're going to get a higher accumulation. To me, this is something where this is still just as hard to do as it's been. I think it's even more difficult to do, and I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here. What you do best? The the most the easiest conclusion to jump to, right, is that we should get more no hitters in baseball because the heavy emphasis on the home run, right? So that guys are striking out more. And even if you walk a guy, you can still get a no hitter. And by the way, Radon last night gets to the ninth inning with an out, and he plunks. I mean, he hits a guy in the, in the foot. Yeah. So we've had feel like. In the last few days, yeah. in which there were also no walks. I mean, right. these, these are just one blemish, and it was a hit by pitch. 
in each of them, which is extremely rare. I mean, the odds of that happening in the span of a week, it's just incalculable. Um, so that was pretty impressive. I thought to, to do it, no hits and no walks, it's almost like there's an added thing there. There's no in-between, right? There's, there's a no-hitter and there's a perfect game. But this, to me, almost lands in the in-between when you don't walk anybody either. So to your point that, no, I don't think no-hitters will become more prevalent the way the triple-double has in the NBA – Yes, I understand more guys are striking out and making out than ever before. Tim Kirchner this morning pointed out that I think three teams made the playoffs last year bags with a team average of 230 or lower. I mean, it's pathetic. So while guys are still not getting on base at the rate they used to, right, in a in a in a lower manner of a single or an infield single or whatever it might be. Pitchers aren't pitching as deep into games. Managers, front offices aren't as willing to let their guys go 130, 140 pitches. We just don't see that anymore. Um, and I, I don't. I'm, I think you're with me here. I don't believe that if a guy goes out and throws 130, that all of a sudden his career is doomed and he can't go out there five days later and pitch again. Or if he went out and pitched 130 on Tuesday, give him 10 days off. Give him eight days off and bring him back, right? I, I think guys are able to do that. Front offices and managers just aren't as willing. So while averages are down, strikeouts are up, yes. pitch counts are not up. Longevity right. in a, in singular baseball games are not up. And so I don't think pitchers have as many opportunities to get the no-hitter. But I do think it is somewhat overrated. We make a big deal out of it. I mean, even locally on News Channel 13, if somebody throws a no-hitter seven or eight out of ten times, that's going to be the lead in our local sports cast. Hey, there was a no-hitter. And yes, I get it. It's Major League Baseball history. But if I read these names out to you, Bags, Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez, Steve Carlton, Roger Clemens, mm-hmm. Grover Alexander, Lefty Grove, Don Drysdale, Fergie Jenkins, Whitey Ford, Don Sutton, they're all Hall of Famers. Well, Clemens isn't. They're all Hall of Famers. None of them threw a no-hitter. Okay, now, you got to be careful because now you're making the opposite point. This is another thing you do. You argue a point and you make the opposite point at the same time. So that tells you how difficult it is to do. The fact that those extremely talented pitchers who had incredible Hall of Fame careers never got it done even once in their career. So it is something that should be celebrated to a large degree, even if it is only for one night. Yes, but my point is, and you you did say it earlier, that it's not an, an indicator of career success. There is, There seems to be so much randomness to a no-hitter, right? I mean, you get guys who you will never hear of again and you won't remember two years from now who have thrown a no-hitter. So what is the place really in his I, – I, look, I celebrate it for that individual pitcher's career. That is awesome. Like, that's something they can never take away from you. And the ball goes to Cooperstown. So you are in the Hall of Fame to a degree, which is really, really cool. But I do think we make such a big deal out of it that a lot of times I feel like, I don't know, are we blowing this a little out of proportion? Nick has a question for us. Haven't there been pitchers taken out after like seven innings with a hitter? Yeah. This, yeah. I, I'm going to forget the pitcher bags. Um, but the Dodgers did this on opening day. I'm going to say like three or four years ago now, but I don't remember exactly. Um, and he was, he, I think he went eight innings or was into the eighth 
Is this loads at eighty something pitches, and they're like, "We're that's it, that's it." He's one of our young gun prospects. Like we're not. I don't think it was Dustin May. We're not. We're not leaving him out there any longer. So, does that make my point for me that if baseball people are deciding this isn't worth it, this isn't a big enough deal, we're not leaving our guy out there. This is one of the things that drives me nuts about baseball is just how much pitchers are babied in general. Now, I don't like the sort of old man philosophy on this where it's like, in my day, guys threw this and like, yeah, but that wasn't good either. That was guys being overworked, putting their their bodies and their arms at risk. But there's no question that pitchers are babied in today's game. And it's, it's really frustrating. I mean, you see guys – you know, what's like when we had the uh, the Mets start the other day, we're strolling through a few pitches and then it was rain. I've seen that in the past where a guy will come out and, you know, you'll get a couple pitches in and then there'll be a rain delay. And it's like, well, now he can't come back because you're already through. But it's like, well, if he had thrown those pitches just in the bullpen before the game instead of live action, then it wouldn't have mattered. Like, it's like we overthink it. And of course, we overthink pitch counts. You know, these guys. They go to work for you one out of every five days. I say, let them give me their best on that day. Yeah, you don't want somebody to blow out their arm. But really, I mean, they're made to pitch. It's what they do is five, ten more pitches going to really be the difference. When you put guys on these strict pitch counts, how many times have you seen DeGrom come out of a game where it's like, well, if they just left him in one more inning, they probably would have won that game. You know, and it's like. He's a workhorse. Like some guys you just have to look at and understand, okay, they can give me a little bit more and still be okay. These guys now are throwing 100 miles an hour in the eighth inning of a game that they started. Let these guys do their job. Before you wander too far from one point you made about rain delay, what is is the maximum allowed amount of time for a starting pitcher to go out there and throw a first inning, rain delay – Where's your cutoff point? No, bring them back. Bring them back. You're talking about what if it's an hour and a half rain delay? And he's thrown 10 pitches? Bring them back. If he's thrown 60, 70, now you have to start weighing that. I think it's it's a combination of the two. How much work have they already put in and how long was the delay? But I put way less emphasis on how long was the delay. If anything, the delay lets you rest more. It's not like all of a sudden, what, some inflammation builds up because it's been an hour and a half instead of 45 minutes. No, go out there and pitch again. I was at a game several years back that Matt Abbey started, and there was a rain delay in, like, the fifth inning. He was rolling, and, of course, he didn't come back after it. It was about probably an hour, an hour and a half, and then they lost the game. And you sit there and you think to yourself, boy, he was going so well. And it's not to say that you're going to come back and be just as good after that kind of delay, but – it's so funny because it's like if it's a rain delay, we view it differently than if it was like a long turn at bat. How many times have you seen a guy sit in the dugout while his team's batting for 45 minutes and he's still expecting to go out there and do his job in the next inning? So it's overthinking it. It's really overmanaging. And it's one of the downsides of modern baseball, how pitchers are treated in my view. Yeah, you are you are tough on on the management of, of pitchers, be it starters or relievers. It, you, you know, like... When somebody, when a team announces, you know, so and so closer won't be available today because he's pitched the last two days, you just about always lose your mind. Uh, Nick's comment here: some pitchers get stronger later in the game or after adversity and getting through a tough inning. 
not given a chance to do that nowadays in most instances. By the way, Braves starting pitcher Max Freed the other night. I mean, he was getting lit up. They just they just kept putting him out there. He had given up eight runs, and he and he's he's due to bat in the fourth inning, and they let him hit. And I'm like, well, what are we doing here? Of course, he gets a hit, and then what does he do? He pulls his hamstring running from second to third base. So now what are you going to do? You're going to now throw the DH argument in. These guys shouldn't be batting. I'm no. not. I'm just. I'm just saying. Unfortunately, we've reached a point of no return. The babying of pitchers won't allow us bags to have the game the way you and I would both like. And and I'm not going to like be the super advocate anymore for pitchers hitting because I get it. But but we've just gotten to a point of no return for the, the two of us to yeah. get baseball the way we want it. True, I agree on that. But the worst part of it is for me is, and maybe it's just because I'm a, I'm a fan of a team who has an all-time pitcher right now in Jacob DeGrom, and I've seen it happen all too often. But just in general, the big thing that bothers me, I think the most about how managers handle the pitchers is they take them out when they should let them go like one more inning. We see it where it's like, well, that pitch count – Oh, it's 98, and if we send them out there for one more inning, now you're looking at 110, and that's really way too many. Is it? Is 10, 15 more pitches really the difference? And the problem is it's when a guy is rolling in a close game, and then they bring in the unknown at the bullpen. That guy in the bullpen could have anything going on. You don't know what you're going to get from him, even if it's a guy who's normally reliable. You know, he could have had bad tacos before the game, and you're going with him – in the eighth inning of a close game when you probably could have squeezed one more out of that starter and then try to get it to your closer, you know, that type of situation. It's too much. It's, it's a lot of overthinking. And I know managers look at it as like, look, we got a ton of money invested in these guys. And if I leave this guy out there and he blows out his arm, it's on me and my job's on the line. But that's, you can't look at it that way. You can't look at it from the selfish perspective. You got to go out there and try to win. And, if a guy is – if you're really worried about a guy blowing out his arm, then then you have to do the right thing. But how many guys do? Uh, like If a guy goes 120 because he's got a no-hit bid and he pitches a few more uh, – you know, a few more pitches than he would normally, do we really see a lot of adverse effects from that? Here's the thing, though. It isn't – I know you called it a selfish act, but but I'll spin it this way. That manager, yeah – ultimately worried about his job, right? And having to answer questions from the media about why you left him in there a certain length of time. But it's also about the, the for the betterment of the team, right? Like, sure. I know the baseball people are going to tell me every game in April means as much as every game in September. I get it. They all count for the same. But I'd rather have DeGrom ready to go in a meaningful game in September as opposed to a meaningful game in April. Right. I mean, and that and that's the philosophy is that I've got a long season to get through here. I can't just start blowing through some arms. Rockman's got Red Sox are doing. Yeah, they've won nine in a row as we sit here on a Thursday. Uh, I don't know if the Rockman is a Red Sox fan or not. Um, they are not a playoff team. Just a spoiler here. They've won nine straight after losing their first three. This is a long year. Boston's not a playoff team. Now, when you say playoff, you mean the, you know, the expanded, I mean, or are they going to be, you know, a wild card? Can they get a wild card game? You mean they're not going to make any, any form of the playoffs, not just get to a real playoff series? No, correct. No playoffs. 
By the way, the, the playoff scenario, I, and we'll we'll talk about the NBA here later on in the show, the playoff scenario I still can't figure out is every day I, I look at the standings and I'm trying to figure out, okay, where where does the where does the first four remember the NCAA how much we hate that where's the first four start with the NBA playoff how many how yeah. many teams are guaranteed to get in and then who's part of the the play in tournament that Adam Silver has created for absolutely zero good reason yeah. where does it's that more, start it's as though it's as though we're playing like a forty game season and it's like well we got to leave that little leeway you know for teams that. No, this is this is a seventy-two game season. Why isn't it not just one through eight? It makes sense. It's a seventy-two game season, and half the league gets in already. Right. It doesn't make any sense because you're going to have you're going to have teams with really bad records competing in that play-in tournament. And I get it the the ten eleven teams. So the way it works is that you know seven and eight are going to play each other, and the winners in automatically. Ten eleven play each other, losers out. And then the loser of that 7-8 game plays the winner, and they get in. So if you're that 7-8, you only have to win once to get in. If you're 10-11, you'd have to win two games in a row. But why? And, oh, by the way, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm the 10 or 11 and I get in, now I've got to go play the Jazz? Or now I've got to go play the Sixers or Nets? Come on. What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know. I don't get it. All right. We've got big, big news on today's show, man. We are so excited about what's coming next for this show, Honorado and Bagnardi, and we'll tell you all about it right after this. Teams. Athletes. Organizations. We're transforming the custom apparel industry through products, purpose claim your crown now back to honorado and bagnardi all right bags as i said at the beginning of this show this is the last show in its current comma form okay yeah uh, you referenced a new era coming. That's exactly what's happening. And you'll see it at the bottom of your screen there. We are so excited to tell you all that we are moving to News Channel 13 social platforms. They've even made these short-sighted decision bags to put us on television. We're going to be on my four as well, which in the capital region is where you find the only nine o'clock newscast every night. So we are we are so pumped to make this next step. We'll have more details about the exacts and when you can see us and how you can see us and all that stuff. But News Channel 13 has the number one social media following in the area, right, Bags, in terms of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll be on YouTube as well. Um, and then and then on TV, which is just really a terrible decision that we did not steer them away from. Well, look, the the... the- Keep in mind, the people who made this decision have already made the decision to put you on TV for years in this market. So, you know, that's the judgment we're dealing with here. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you're 100% right, man. This is this is very exciting for us, for the show. Obviously, when you look at the 13 platform, it's it's going to be a lot more exposure for us. Um, it's It's going to allow us to have a better reach working with different people at the television station. 
the, the people in promotions, the people in sales who, who will help us connect with different community partners and sponsors. I mean, it's only up from here. So it's very exciting. It's a, it's a big opportunity for us. And now, I mean, now we can't screw it up. Now we have to actually you know, really be on our A game and, uh, and make sure we do a good job for everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Nick, man. I know you've been following the show from the start. We, we appreciate that support and, uh, and your interaction with here, uh, with us here. And, and one big note too, just based on, on what we just did there, flashing up comments on the screen, all of this will look the same. Yeah. So we want as much involvement from the people who are watching. We know we will gain uh, new viewers and followers through this move. Um, and we want all that social media interaction as well. It enhances the show. It's what makes this show unique. Um, and so all of this will look the same. You'll just find us in a little bit of a different place, but we'll continue to remind people as we get closer to the start date, which we can tell you is a week from today. It is Thursday, April 22nd, will be the official first day on News Channel 13 social platforms and more details about the times and then when you can see us on my four uh, as well, but some some really cool stuff. We're gonna look. We're as I said, it's gonna look the same. We're gonna continue to deliver the same conversations, the biggest news that are going on in the world of sports, and obviously we'll continue to get uh, the biggest guests as well. Some big names in and around the world of of sports and entertainment. As we've kind of dipped our toes in that pool, uh, but we hope to to really kind of dive both feet in. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I mean, this is this is also. A little bit of a change in the show. I mean, obviously, we're going to be dominant sports talk, as we have been for a long time. But before you and I did this kind of show, we did a an audio podcast called An Hour You'll Never Get Back, where we focused on all kinds of things. And I know as we evolve the show and grow our potential audience base, you know, we want to appeal to as many people as possible, too. And that includes some non-sports fans. So we're, we're going to we're going to cross some of those lines and go over into the entertainment world, you know, music, movies, TV, hopefully line up some of those cool guests. Like we've had a couple of so far here on the show, but really expand that side of it and hopefully appeal to a lot more people as well. All right. In that vein, here's a look back at what we've done in the last year in terms of guests and what we are calling the dead ball era, which is really just disrespectful to the great guests we've had yeah. on this show. But let's take a look back at what pandemic Honorado and Bagnardi looked like. Boog Shambi, man, I loved having him on. He was our first real guest on the show. He told a great story as he is here about Barry Bonds telling him to F off. We had, of course, we had Scott Hansen too, NFL Red Zone. I can't believe Boog was the first guest, man. That's yeah. That is incredible. Dude, this was just the other day, right? Duncan Robinson. Yep. We saw him light it up on Christmas Day. I mean, we that's that's star power here. That was my big one, man. I wanted Duncan Robinson badly. Here's your boy Ryan Rucco. Yeah, man. Nets broadcaster. Of course, ESPN as well, but big on yes. And then bags, we got out of the house. Thank God. Yeah, look at that, man. Up there at uh Druther. Look at the bus pole. This was great. The uh real men wear pink campaign and for the american cancer society and i was on the bus getting pulled and of course ian anderson talked with us after what we saw him do for the braves in the postseason which was just incredible and then again on location shawnee uh, our presenting sponsor mohawk honda mohawk chevrolet and then just recently man 
Mike Golick of ESPN fame, and he was great with us. We showed Peter King some of our favorite beers, and then you said you were going to send him a pint glass with our logo. So deliver on that, would you? Here's a funny moment. We had Jimmy Dykes on from ESPN. He, at yeah. some point, he lost audio, couldn't hear me, could only hear you, and so I started writing things on a whiteboard. Yep, and then you were showing off your old school pictures with George Carl, and then we had Julie Foudy on. That was great. We had uh, a comment made by our former boss, Jeff Wernick, that went viral on social yep. media. Remember that when he asked her to yeah. compare some uh, some soccer players? That was That was great. And TD, the Hall of Famer, man. You said maybe the biggest name we've had on the show. I think so, but uh, nobody packs a punch more than Supernova, who we got to work out with. And look, I mean, send up a prayer. Look at you here, man, on the bag. Our guy, Kevin Herter. And Sean Evans, Angel is Angels. I mean, this guy, just ridiculous. Maybe the best athlete Ooh. you could have on. Yeah. Given, given his accomplishments going cross-country, uh, just insane. Yeah, Jimmer Fredette, uh, we highlighted some of his trick shot Tuesdays. An MVP the season before that. It's just the matchup just presents it. We're going to play a game called Who Got the Better Kitchen? Right now, right now, he got the better kitchen. Nick and Garrett did a great job, man. They're outfitting the Capital Region and beyond. Uh, and we're going to talk with them. A novice, our guys, one of our newest sponsors. Uh, we were live in their showroom. You saw Keenan Thompson and Chris Red. There's Bobby Moynihan, Vela Lavelle from their NBC sitcom. I ripped up my bracket before the tournament even started. And my pick actually won. That was Baylor. Classic you. Just classic you to rip up a bracket that was number one. Yeah. Could you have won some money on that bracket? No. 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 Yeah. No. Me either. I had I had Gonzaga, so that's where I went wrong. Yeah, well, well, I mean, they got there. Yeah, I know, but. Which is better than I can say for most years when I pick an NCAA tournament champ. Now, what's the, worst pick, in the game. what's the worst pick you ever made on this show? Worst prediction. It had to be the Jets. Winning the division a couple of years back, right when they when Darnold got mono and what the second Easily. they just yeah no season at all yeah 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 Jets to win the division that was 2019 it was week one against the Bills and 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 it only got worse from there and Stanford Steve from ESPN did tell me you should have just thrown your twenty dollars out your car window yeah more productive and that was before the season started this wasn't like ten games in and it was ugly already right. On the subject of betting, we we recently had a big decision here uh, in New York State, the legalization of mobile sports betting. Let's so I mean, this is what we've been waiting for to now be able to do it all right here. Because as much as we love going out to Rivers Casino, and that was fun, we had some fun also on this show at the Sportsbook making those picks that we just talked about. Uh, you got to be able to do it on your phone, man. This is this is 2021. That's the way. And look, I'm worried now. I'm going to lose a ton of money because this makes it almost too easy. But that's a big deal here in New York State, and it sounds like it's going to be DraftKings, FanDuel, like licensing out to the different venues. So you know the details on that are not that they're still being worked out, but it sounds like it'll still like Rivers will still be involved, that type of thing. But um, it's exciting. Bottom line is to be able to pick up your phone and finally do it here in New York. That's exciting. It was time. It was time to do it. No doubt. 
uh, about that. We we needed to make that step. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're there. And and I'm a I'm maybe not super worried, but it's because I'm not just a big gambler by nature anyway. Um, but if I have a Sunday off and I'm sitting at home on the couch, come on, you're gonna you're gonna be sitting there at work. You're gonna look at a line for a game that'll catch your eye. And be like, Ooh. Maybe I can make some money on that one because something's standing out about it to me. And you're going to pick up your phone and you're going to be like, okay, now do I do 50 bucks on this or do Maybe. I do 100 bucks on this? Yeah. But I I do pretty well when I'm at the track in Saratoga for work. I'm not a – it's just not – No. I'm interested. I'm interested in the gambling aspect of everything. And, and I pay close attention to – betting lines and over-unders and all that stuff, but I'm never always fully compelled to put money on it. But also, you are not, for as knowledgeable as you are about horse racing, and I'm not saying you're not, it's no, not, not, it's not, well, you, but you know, like, you know the trainers, and you know this, and that, like, you know, because you cover it, you know, of course, what you need to know to cover it well, and more than that, but there's a difference between knowing the trainers and the jockeys and the horses and the tracks and knowing how to bet on horse racing. Yeah. As our buddy Josh Coombs at work will tell I mean, and he is he analyzes it to to the max where you can look at track conditions and whatever a slew of things, right? So that's the stuff where if you don't know as much, you're gonna be cautious about how you spend your money. But you know, I mean, you know the NBA inside and out, MLB inside and out. So you're gonna think you've got the knowledge. Even though, would you say we know the NFL? NFL, yes, but the NFL, what I've learned, is very tricky to bet on. They all are. I know they all are, but the NFL, the NFL, I think, is maybe the trickiest because you think it might be easiest. Yeah. Like, the NBA is tough. You know it's tough because, like, hey, boy, what, what, what do eight or ten points really mean in today's NBA? And you look at that kind of spread and you think that's kind of a big spread, but is it really – you know, and baseball is just impossible to bet because you never know. And football, it's like, yeah, I got a good handle on that because, you know, usually the better team will win in football. And there's something to really be said for home advantage in football. And you, you, you can convince yourself into this is a good offense against not a great defense. They should cover that spread. You talk yourself into things in football more. And I think you get burned on it more as a result. Oh, we've learned that. Um, <laughs> all right. Speaking of the NFL, big news yesterday in the NFL and what it might mean bags for an AFC title contender. Ooh. The news of the segment is we are moving to news channel 13 social platforms and this show will be on TV on my four. That is all coming next week, but right around the corner. Why one team now maybe has really presented itself, Bags, in the AFC as the number one challenger to the Chiefs. Depressed. Overworked. Job sucks. Underappreciated. When life sucks, <laughs> just say Dillagaff. Our clothing line puts the F.U. back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagaff isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillagaffUSA.com.
Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. All right, Bags, the Cleveland Browns are making moves. This is a roster that you fell in love with two years ago. I'm talking about my Jets pick. You fell in love with a couple of years ago because they were a star-studded roster. They had the number one pick in Baker Mayfield. They had Jarvis Landry. They had Odell Beckham Jr. They had real household name talent. Well, they added another one yesterday in Jadevian Clowney. And I wonder... Wait a minute, is it Jadevian or Jadevian? Oh, I'm a Jadevian guy. Okay. All right. I think it's... I'm, I'm going to go out there and say that I really do think it's Jadevian. You hear a lot of Jadevian, but I really do think it's Jadevian. All right, I'll go Clowney. Anyway, the Browns signed Clowney <laughs> after an unproductive season in Tennessee last year. Hmm. Does this vault the Browns to the number one contender spot as they chase after the Chiefs, as everybody chases after the Chiefs? No. It's a big deal. This, this is going to pain me. This hurts. This, this almost physically hurts. I think the Buffalo Bills are – the biggest challenger. What we saw out of them last year, they they took a big step. And now there's one more step to go. And I think they are the most prepared team to take on Kansas City and, and their biggest threat. And I'll say this about Clowney. This is a big this is a big addition for them. Um, Clowney himself, I think, said it best in talking about this. It's like he gets double teamed a lot. Right. So now you go play with Miles Garrett. And how do you stop all that? You can't can't double team everybody. So that's a big deal. And this will be a huge deal for this team's pass rushing and for their defense in general. You combine that with the offensive threats you already talked about. This team should win their division and they should be a threat in the playoffs, in my opinion. But the biggest threat to the Chiefs, I think, is still the Buffalo Bills until it's proven otherwise to me. You would take the Browns to win the division over the Ravens. I would. I would now. Okay. Clowney's numbers last year only played eight games with the Titans. He had uh, a knee injury that knocked him out for the rest of the season. Zero sacks. Zero sacks. I got it. But so here's the thing with certain numbers in the NFL, and there's something to be said for zero. So that that's that's a fair point. Okay, but. NFL stats, you can, like, for instance, if you target Clowney, right, you can keep him off the board. But he's having an impact because of how much attention has to be drawn to him. I used to feel the same way about Darrell Revis when numbers would go down sometimes with him. It's like, you know why? Because they're just not throwing to him. So he's still having a huge impact. He's essentially taking a guy, probably the other team's best receiver, out of a game and it's not showing up at all statistically. You can say the same thing about certain high-profile wide receivers if they're sort of on their own. Defenses can really gear toward that guy and then maybe see other guys take advantage. Or the quarterback, you know, if they're, if they're any good, able to utilize some other weapons, get other guys some big numbers. So I don't, I don't like overanalyzing the stats at certain positions in the NFL. Zero is zero, okay? Okay. So I get but that. You, but you lead me into my point here. Okay. Now Cleveland – in Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney, and Tack McKinley have three of the top 10 guys over the last few years in the NFL in pass 
rush win rate. Now, someone smarter than me can explain that, but here's the base of it. What? Please. Those three guys consistently get pressure on the quarterback. And sometimes the sack is overrated because quarterback pressures may force an interception, sure. may force a bad throw, may force a fumble somewhere else. You know, the more pressure you get on a QB over the course of the game, the more they're going to be affected later in the game. So you got three guys now in Clowney, McKinley, and Garrett who are, are gonna answer the question? in the backfield. Are you going to answer the question? They might be. <laughs> that's not an answer. <laughs> no, that, that is, first of all, the big sigh. That was great. Let's keep in mind that we're also on audio podcasts. So people are not, they can't just necessarily look at your, you know, adoring red curls. You've got to understand there are people just listening yeah. to this and they now had what, a, a air, an air burst, like a tire went and then a pause. That's very bad for audio. That's, that's bags. That's the dramatic pregnant pause that, that signals one is deep in thought. Okay, well, um, you were pregnant with twins there. So come on, let, let's just get to it. I think Cleveland is, man. I think Cleveland is the biggest threat to Kansas City. Yeah. And look, here's the wild card. Because I believe in Buffalo, too, and I believed, I have believed in Buffalo for a long time. But the wild card is not knowing exactly what the Patriots are going to do at the quarterback position. I'm not saying that if they draft Justin Fields 10th overall, the way Mel Kuyper is suggesting in his latest mock draft, that all of a sudden they, they become the AFC East champions again, or that they're going to... To, to make a run of the play. But but it makes me think a little bit longer about what if it's if they say to me week one Cam Newton starting quarterback and we don't really have a backup plan, then I'm out on the Patriots. But but if they draft a QB and it's somebody as talented as Justin Fields, and they've got eight guys who opted out from last year coming back into the fold this season. I'm not telling you New England becomes the biggest challenger to the Chiefs, but I'm telling you Buffalo's competition gets a little stiffer in that division. And oh, by the way, Miami's a really good team. So yep. I don't think the AFC East is going to be a cakewalk for Buffalo. No, I'm bringing in the comment here from what do you got? Go ahead. Joe Calderon. Bring it in. Uh, talking yeah. about Okay. And I- I'm with you. I get, I get all the indie love too, but that, that if is a big one, isn't it bags? It is a big one. There's no doubt about it. And he would have to really bounce back to true form, true, like, top caliber, potentially MVP Carson Wentz. And, yeah, that's that you have to see it to believe it, unfortunately, with him. Um, okay, so we're talking about the biggest threat to the Chiefs. Let's get real here. Is there is there a threat big enough? I mean, the Chiefs are the clear favorites. Do you have them rolling in the AFC to get to the Super Bowl? I mean, it's a little early to make a prediction. It's you know April fifteenth. Um, yeah, but I would, I would, if if you if you said to me, I'll give you Kansas City or the field, I would take Kansas City. Yeah, I think I would take the field. Okay. Yeah. And and look, the, the Chiefs have lost pieces along the offensive line. We saw how bad the O line was in the Super Bowl. Um, so that makes you. Mm, can, but they also have probably the best quarterback in the NFL on their team. He wasn't the MVP and he didn't win the Super Bowl, but he might still be the best quarterback in the NFL and Mahomes. So 
Yeah, I would roll if you if you gave me two choices today and you said you can either have the Chiefs or the field, then you know, then I would say give me the Chiefs. Yeah, I know, I know, man. I we're, we'll be praying for Joe Burrow in Cincinnati when he comes back. <laughs> Get him some offensive line help, man. Speaking of needing some offensive line help, Cincinnati needs it. Uh, who's the one guy in the NFL who you don't want to be standing across from? More than one. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, it's all of them. But the one guy you just you want no part of it. And look, it could be you're on defense and you want to, you know, get out of the way, or it could be, you know, you're on offense trying to trying to block somebody. Well, I would not have fun trying to tackle Derrick Henry. I know that. That's true. Henry in the open field with a head of steam. You know, you can't even say you go low. There's no way. I mean, I would I would go low to just try to maybe tie his shoelaces together. That's it. How about this one here? Yeah. Okay. You know what, though? And Matty was an offensive lineman. So I, I want him to weigh in here if he's still with us on the other side of this thought. O-line, though, feels a little bit easier. Like, you could just really O-lay block a dude, right? Couldn't you? Yes. I mean, you could, you said, you know, I'm talking about standing there trying to do your job, you know? Okay. Yeah. Donald wouldn't be a lot of fun. The only advantage to Aaron Donald would be you're presumably you're in the middle of the offensive line. You're a guard or a center Yeah. with Donald at the, you would, you would have a little bit of help on the outside. Um, I, again, I just kind of go back to the guy I wouldn't want to try to tackle yeah I look at it as a guy who I want who I wouldn't want tackling me not so much maybe trying to stop him on the line but if I, if somebody's handing me the football and they're gonna they're gonna wrap me up and put all their weight on top of me yeah I'm, I'm thinking Donald's pretty good Miles Garrett though too I mean these guys these guys are are animals frankly I mean they'll kill you yeah to my point you could Olay block a dude the old lookout block where you just let a guy go by <laughs> and you yeah look out um okay let's okay so who would you rather OLA block and then have to deal with, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? Oh, Rodgers. Yeah, because Brady will just – I mean, he'll embarrass you. He'll yeah. embarrass you. Yeah, he will just eviscerate you oh. on and national television. The cameras are rolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, that that would not be pretty. How about all time? Uh, who, who wouldn't you want tackling you? All time, yeah. I mean, LT or Ray Lewis, right? Shoot right to the top of the chart. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Ray Lewis. Oh God, he'll kill you. It'd Wrap become- you up and lift you off the ground and slam you to the turf. Right. Yeah. No thanks. I have a Ray Lewis. Jeff, Jeff is on LT oh, here too. I, I, LT. Yeah, I'm there. So I got a Ray Lewis story. Let me okay, tell you. great. So I, when I was in college, we were um, part of our the capstone program at Syracuse was time in Washington, DC, where essentially they would assign you as like a, a capital bureau reporter for different stations all across the country. Right. They had, they had deals with, you know, affiliates all over the place. My station happened to be the affiliate in Syracuse and I was doing more sports stuff. So we were, I'm not sure if I'm going to remember his name, but there was a, a backup linebacker with the Ravens who had gone to Cuse, who was there at that time. So we decided to do a story on him, 
But as part of that story, so we got to go to Ravens training camp. It was great. I mean, I'm like five feet from Ed Reed and, you know, Ray Lewis when these guys are really top tier talents in the league. Right. So, so I said to my partner, well, we've got to talk to Ray Lewis about this young linebacker who is, you know, in, in the linebacker core under Ray Lewis tutelage here. So, so let's get in the huddle. And of course, when, when practice breaks, Ray Lewis is the first guy everybody right. goes to, right? All the media. So it's this this huge group of reporters from everywhere surrounding Ray Lewis. And you let the national media do their thing first. ESPN gets in. Uh, they get the first question, right? And so eventually I said, I got in there, said to Ray Lewis, I was like, hi, you know, we're from Syracuse. We're doing a st-. And he cut me off. And he's like, I don't talk to you people. I was like, what? He's like Syracuse, like played you guys in college, Miami. I don't, I don't talk to you people. And I was like, oh. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. What do you want? And then I, then I asked him about the player, and you know, he he gave a great answer about it. But in that split second, when I had thought I had just ticked off Ray Lewis with all the national media surrounding me, and, and you know, all the different the fans and the Ravens players. I may have died in that moment. I mean, I think I turned completely white and I was like, what? And then, of course, he was great about it. I was like, no, I'm just kidding. And I, that was a big sigh of relief for me. He's the one guy you do not tick off. And at no. that time, he was the one guy, maybe in the world, you do not tick off. Yeah. You can't think of that linebacker's name, can you? Huh? You can't think of that linebacker's name, can you? No. You you got it? No, I don't. Oh. Um, <laughs> and... The thing that surprised me about him, too, was he he wasn't really physically imposing to me. Maybe it's just because I'm like a tall guy, but I thought to myself, like, hey, he doesn't look so bad. And then you get closer and you're like, OK, he's obviously like ripped to shreds and whatnot. But I was and maybe to it because you're surrounded by these other like massive players. And Ray Lewis is a big guy. But I think. You know, because we had been around NBA guys, too, at that time. And, you know, you're just you're seeing these huge professional athletes. I was like, well, he's not overwhelmingly massive to me. You know, that, that for some reason, that just stood out to me. But, of course, what he did on the field was was just all-time stuff. The, the, one of the best ever to do. It. Or off the field in Atlanta. Um, <laughs> but, it, yeah, it, Ray Lewis played in a time in the 90s and the early 2000s where they wore the big shoulder pads. Guys' shoulder pads now are shrinking. So if the pads come off a guy like Ray Lewis and you're standing around, you're probably like, oh, I'm maybe not. Yeah, that's what it is, too. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he wasn't physically imposing. I, I probably should have worded that differently. He was, but not as overwhelmingly as I thought. And and probably that that plays into the narrative of who, who he is in his talent level. It's like you picture this vicious, you know, monster of a man because of what he did, but like, no, like uh, so much of that is just sheer talent too. You know, it's not just like, he's just an overwhelmingly big guy who like, no, it was, it was just an incredible mix of skill, agility. I mean, yes, I, I'm a huge Ray Lewis football player guy. Because of what he did, and, and he did it, he was the best at that position. He was like the LT of our era, right? Growing up watching, you know, LT. I'm a little, a tiny bit too young to really have appreciated. So, Joey C, shout out, yeah, brother. Going to my four, man. <laughs> We're going to be on TV. Our four now. <laughs> it, is, it is our four. 
Uh, when we come back, a great NBA debate that has really just developed in the last handful of years, bags, and that is health over home court. And which do you really value most when you get to the postseason? Because we're seeing very different philosophies play out, and it happened Wednesday night as well. Back on Honor Auto and Bagnardi after this. Nutrition is 80% of a healthy lifestyle. With four locations on the 518, Bold has you covered. Delicious? I think that's a yes. It's never been easier or more affordable to eat healthy. Salads with 17 dressings to choose from. Acai bowls with unlimited toppings. Power grain bowls, oatmeals, smoothies, artisan toasts, and Belgium waffles. Live bold seven days a week. At work, home, or on the go. Dine in, grab and go, pick up or delivery. Live bold, eat bold. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. All right, Shawnee, explain to me what is going on with your Brooklyn Nets. Sure. I thought, I can't wait for Sixers Nets. Durant is back. He's healthy. They've added Aldridge and Griffin. I know Harden isn't available, but at least we're going to get those four stars on the court against Philadelphia with the number one seed currently on the line. The winner of that game will have a one-game lead in the Eastern Conference, and then you watch the game last night, and all you get is Kyrie. Aldridge, Griffin, and of course, Durant sat out. What's up? So here's what happened with Durant, obviously. Um, Monday's game against the Timberwolves gets postponed because they're in Minnesota. Everything that happened in Minnesota, no game Monday night gets bumped to Tuesday afternoon. So now you're on a back-to-back, which of course the Nets have treated like other teams in the NBA. Like for some reason, this is this is asking guys to, to run the gauntlet or something. So Durant plays Tuesday. They're drilling Minnesota. Yet they continue to play Durant a certain amount of minutes, knowing full well we're going to do this. He's not going to play on the second half of a back-to-back now against Philadelphia. The reasoning, the philosophy – being that the most important thing to us, more than the number one seed, more than home court advantage, is the health of our guys going into the playoffs. We have a plan that is Durant is going to get this, this number of minutes. We're going to work him up to the whatever minute total that we want to work him up to, and it's going to be a gradual process, and we're going to stick to that plan no matter who's on the schedule, no matter whether the game's on national TV or not. So the plan was – play him X amount of minutes against Minnesota, regardless of what the score is, and he's not playing against Philadelphia. Now, I get it. I hear the frustration. And as a fan, when he's on the court in the fourth quarter and you're up 30 points, that's a problem, okay? Period, that's a problem. Let me just make make one point here real quick and ask a question with it, okay? Are the Timberwolves any good? No, worst team in the league. Why not sit him on Tuesday knowing you've got the Sixers on Wednesday? Hey, look, I know we don't want to make it look like we expect to beat Minnesota, and maybe we won't beat Minnesota without Durant. Or but Kyrie. I'd rather have my full arsenal ready to go against the team that is directly side-by-side side with me in the Eastern Conference standings on Wednesday night. Why not play it that way? Because that wasn't the plan. The plan is... Playing with minutes now. We have no Kyrie either. He was out for personal reasons. 
you know Kyrie, we're going to play Durant, and we're going to play Kyrie tomorrow, and if we lose, we lose. And it is, to Jeff's point here, a little bit like that. I mean, the pitchers count. The, the frustrating part, you know, the term for it in basketball is load management. And it's become a term that really has a lot of negative connotations, not a negative feelings for fans. And I totally understand it. But I, I can tell you this after last night. Philadelphia is not a threat to Brooklyn in the playoffs. When this Brooklyn team is healthy, and they're just Philadelphia, Embiid presents matchup problems, okay? But DeAndre Jordan actually did a pretty good job against him last night. And when you are going to have Aldridge available to throw at him, Blake Griffin available, you know, a guy like Nick Claxton doesn't have sort of the girth to compete on that level, but he, he'll, he'll make Embiid play some defense too at times. You know, there are, there's just, if the Nets are healthy, way too many weapons and way too deep. Simmons and Embiid, are, they have to rest. First of all, Simmons is, is also overrated. He can't, he can't hit a free throw. He's not a guy you can trust to hit an outside shot. And that's their second best player. Tobias Harris is really good too. But when you look at the big three of Brooklyn compared to really Embiid and overrated Simmons and Tobias Harris, and then you go down the line, the Nets are way deeper and way better. And I don't care if Philly's the number one seed and Brooklyn has to win a game in Philadelphia. If they're healthy, it won't be a problem. The Nets are the Nets are clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference. If they're healthy, they will be in the NBA Finals. How many games would that series go in the playoffs? Probably five. Would Probably Milwaukee take Brooklyn deeper. And I'll and I'll give you this: if Philly does get home advantage, maybe they get it to six. But there's no way they get it to seven. And if they do, I still think Brooklyn could win a game seven on the road. Would and Milwaukee? Would Milwaukee take Brooklyn deeper? Maybe six. Yeah. So Jeff Jeff says here, Nets don't play defense. Playoffs are about getting stopped. The, so that was the, the narrative really at the beginning of the season. The Nets have improved a great deal defensively. And make no mistake about it, when we get into the postseason, Ooh, we, we. Ooh. it's going to be a different story. You've got Kyrie Irving is actually a little bit underrated defensive player. And when, when it matters most, these guys will step up. Joe Harris is a good perimeter defender. Kevin Durant is maybe the best defender in the league. Okay. And now you've added LaMarcus Aldridge to be a big body underneath. When push comes to shove, the Nets haven't had to play defense because they're, they're, they're statistically here approaching, as far as offensive rating, the best offensive team to ever play basketball. So they haven't had to play a ton of defense. When they have to, Make no mistake, this team can also play defense. They have good defensive players. Nick Claxton is a threat down low now defensively. He can switch and play off of just about any position. Guy who's underrated, and when the Nets make it to the playoffs, he's a guy who will start to make a little bit of a name for himself nationally. Um, and don't underestimate what Kevin Durant can do guarding another team's best player. Nick Claxton is the reason they they were comfortable letting Jared Allen go. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. For sure. Here's ESPN's BPI and some heavy favorites here to win the NBA's East and West. And I got a comment on Facebook before we even started the show about why isn't anybody talking about Donovan Mitchell for MVP? Great question. Because he plays in Utah. Yeah, but that's a fair point. And the MVP is a weird race this year, right? Because you've got guys who've missed time, like Embiid missed time. Now he's there. Harden came in and was great with the Nets, but now he's missing time. Right, LeBron now has missed time. Donovan Mitchell, yeah, you know what? 
they're going to go out there and get the best record in the league this year, and he's their star player and leads them. Why not? And yeah. and I'm I'm on Philadelphia. First of all, the Nets. You can give away last night. Last night's really yeah. One game is up for grabs, and ultimately the tiebreaker is up for grabs. That was the bigger deal about last night because now Philly will have the tiebreaker if they finish with even records. But there's still 17 games left in the season, so the Brooklyn could still win the East just on that alone. And I think Brooklyn does need to get the big three back. I mean, they're about 20 games over 500 and they've only had Harden, Irving and Durant for seven games this season. I think you need a little bit more reps as we get into the playoffs. Um, But ultimately the playoff reps, the first and second round will be what's most important heading into hopefully the conference finals and beyond. Even before Harden was traded to Brooklyn, you picked Harden to win MVP this year. Jeff wants to know Ja. What about Ja? Yeah, I think I'd lean Mitchell over him. Me too. I mean, when you've got a a really, really good player on the best team in basketball, uh, you know, I would lean there. It, it would you if I gave you the the healthy Lakers, you're taking them to win the West, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah, Andre Drummond is a big addition for them too, because they have LeBron and they have AD. You know, yep. he fits in well with them because he's a guy who will just swallow up a million rebounds. Um, he's a guy who can do all the dirty work down low when you want to have AD extend the floor even more. And just the size of those two alone on that front court and LeBron's size too. I mean, they, they should win the way. Now look, they have the best player. LeBron James is still the best player in the world, okay? And if he's healthy and they're right, and those are big ifs. Look, same thing with Brooklyn. They haven't been able to put all three of those guys on the floor at the same time for much time this year. So part of that is because they want to do it in the playoffs. But part of that is because these guys keep getting hurt too. And there are different things that happen to them. And if they can't get it together in the playoffs, they've shown they can win and have success with with just two or even just one of those guys. But obviously that changes come postseason. You got 30 seconds. Jeff says, yeah, but are you going to ask Durant to play 40-plus minutes of defense every night and he'll still be effective? And then it calls him too mm-hmm. fragile to your point about these guys not being able to stay healthy, the, Those these guys being a general term. I know you were applying to the Lakers, but maybe Durant fits in that category too. I don't love the word fragile with Durant. Um, but look, to the point about offense – you don't need him to be as effective offensively when you have Kyrie Irving, you have James Harden, oh, by the way, a guy who can go for 40 any night, and you have Joe Harris who can knock down shots, and Jeff Green who's played great for them this year, and Aldridge and DeAndre Jordan you can dump the ball down to, so they have options. All right, when you see us this time next week, we'll be on News Channel 13's platforms. Thanks for watching, everybody.